This episode is brought to you by my good friends at SipTequila.com. Be sure to sign up for their mailing list as they're adding great new brands regularly. They recently added the Sempra Vivo to their lineup and I've seen a sneak peek of some of the other brands that we're going to start to see on their site. SipTequila.com. Premium tequilas shipped direct to your door. Siempre, the rose that grew from adversity. This is a brand whose story represents beauty that was born from struggle. Spanning from Canada to Guadalajara, they continue to push boundaries as they search to bring you their award-winning tequila. We're going to hear their story and dive deep into the latest project, Vivo, on this episode of the Agave Social Club Podcast, hosted by me, Doug Price. Welcome to the show. This is the Agave Social Club Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Price. From Canada to Guadalajara, I'm here with some of the team members of Siempre Tequila, Alex Lacroix and Rick Harper. Guys, welcome to the show and thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having us. We uh, we really appreciate you uh, hanging with us and we look forward to chatting, man. Yeah, big fan of the show. Thanks, Doug. Before diving into the story of Siempre, tell me a little bit about both of your backgrounds as we lead up to tequila. Rick, let's go ahead and start with you. Yeah, for sure. Listen, how I got into the tequila business is actually pretty interesting. I wasn't even really from the spirits world. I, I had a little bit of experience uh, in CPG. I developed a few cannabis beverages here in Canada as soon as it became federally regulated. You know, so I, I jumped into that. And so I had a little bit of experience in, in manufacturing and producing different products. But I had met Alex early on when he first, first started Siempre. When it was a little bit more than an idea, they did their first, you know, 1,008 cases and I tasted the stuff and it was absolutely phenomenal. And I was just like, hey, how can I get involved in this? And they happened to be looking for investors at the time. So I was one of the lucky guys who uh, was able to invest in this, this wonderful company really early on. This time went on, you know, Alex and I really got along and we would, you know, touch base here and there and he would see the cool little projects that I was working on. And I was like... You know, I was amazed by how quickly and how wonderfully the brand was growing. So we just got together and I was like, hey, let me just join the team and just, uh, you know, just come on board and, and help out the team. So I started off about two years ago now leading innovation for the company. So I helped bring a lot of the new SKUs to market and so on. And then, um, you know, that's grown into other things where I'm now leading a small operations team and, and overseeing a lot of the, uh, the ops for the company. So it's been a really wonderful journey just watching this this little thing grow over the past eight years. And like I said earlier, as far as tequila is concerned, I got a lot of my knowledge through Alex and just through kind of going through the process and, you know, by having a real passion for spirits in general and for tequila in general, that's that's how I came to be. We were more ridiculous than 1,008 cases. We were 1,008 bottles because it was out of a 1,000 liter test still. Yes, I misspoke on that. Pardon me. Even crazier with the amount of, of bottles there. And Alex, I know your story is pretty unique, a pretty unique journey. Background in the music industry and then some life-changing events happen that totally redirected your path. What can you tell me about your journey? Where do we start? Where do we start? You know, with some people, my story begins... As me being the lucky guy that fell in love with a Mexican girl, which is Monica, our co-founder. Okay. If you if you go way back, you could say that I might have you know grew up in the, in the on the wrong side of the tracks, so to speak. I think that I grew up having a lot of uh, negative role models and ended up in a dark side of the world. And 
you know, one thing led to another. I was living out on my own by the age of, you know, 15 or 16 years old, getting into trouble, you know, getting money by any means necessary. Uh, no, despite having a, an awesome mom, because she's going to listen, despite having an awesome mom, I, I, I ended up in a situation where uh, my best friend had recently got, he got murdered. Unfortunately, he was killed. A bunch of other associates, friends, people that I grew up with were either dying, overdosing, going to jail. I was sick of it at that point, but still very much involved and ended up getting arrested on 27 guns and gang charges. And I was looking at five years in prison. Growing up in Canada, we don't have the Second Amendment, so a gun charge is very, very serious, um, no, no matter what it is. So, yeah. you know, I was I was sitting there, you know, hoping to get bail, which isn't very common. And I said, you know what? I, I really screwed up. I, I had just I had just had a daughter. She was only a couple of months old. And I thought to myself, if I get bail anytime soon, I am never looking back. But I, I was just dead set on committing to taking the positive route. And I kind of said a little prayer. And funny enough, on a, on a Sunday, my lawyer was walking through the hallways and saw a judge uh, that was just coming in to grab a few things to do some weekend work. And that judge was the guy that married that married his wife and him. And, and he said, hey, can I get a quick bail hearing? And judge decided, hey, screw it. Let, let me give you a little bit of my time. I got a bail hearing, decided to, to give me bail. They, they let me out and I was on bail with very, very strict conditions. You know, you couldn't leave the house. You could only leave to work, all that kind of stuff. And lived like that for, God, for about seven years. And in those seven years, I said, you know, every day I said, how am I going to make myself better? How am I going to go back in front of the judge or the jury or whoever's going to sentence me at the end of this thing and say, look, I, I've completely changed my life. You know, so, so that, that's what I did. I ended up getting out. I got a job working as a cable guy, went from making, you know, $30,000 a week to less than $30,000 a year at that point, decided that I wanted something better. And because of the music background, ended up doing a lot of graphic design, got interested in advertising, applied for a very difficult advertising program, probably the toughest one in the country and got in, you know, worked my way through college while raising my daughter, driving four hours on the weekend back and forth to be with her and be a dad for her, to being two teacher's assistants, uh, winning a bunch of student awards, also balancing an internship, and then you know becoming one of the top 50 uh, art directors in, uh, in North America, working on big brands, Molson, Coors, Audi, Coca-Cola. And through that journey in college, I met Monica and you know became very close with, with her family. You know, th- them having a, a very strong uh, Mexican background also fell in love with tequila along the way. Working on advertising, building those brands, putting in felt like a hundred hours a week sometimes. Monica and I just kind of looked at each other and went, maybe instead of building these alcohol brands for someone else, we should put some time into building something for ourselves. What was the scene like in Canada? I, I know even today, the tequila scene in Canada is is sadly not as strong as it is here in the United States. I have people all the time reach out to me asking me, hey, do you know if these brands are in Canada? What was the scene like? Because this was around 2014, but what options did you have and, and what were you able to really try to see to, you know, to, to import? Yeah, let, let's look at your tequila shelf there. Absolutely none of that was, was available in, in Ontario. And the funny thing is, is Ontario is like the LCBO is the the single largest 
spirits buyer in the world or alcohol beverage buyer in the world. But the tequila section was very slim. And, you know, when you talk to people and, and we can get into this early on with the brand, when you talk to people and you say, hey, do you want to try some tequila? What do you know about tequila? You go, keep that stuff away from me. I don't want to touch it. I had a bad experience in college. Salt, lime, shots. All I know is Jose Cuervo Gold. And to us, that was a major insight because I would sit at, you know, at the dinner table with, you know, Monica's mom and her sisters and her family, and they would sip on tequila a little bit before the meal, maybe a little bit during the meal and, and onwards afterwards, you know, throughout the night. And they're like, no, no, no. You sip on this stuff. You put it in a glass. You take your time with it. Forget the salt. Forget the lime. Like, like you chill. It's sacred stuff. And, and you just didn't get that in Canada at all, you know, or, or, or you did, and it was extremely rare. And that kind of set us off to wanting to, you know, to, to change that, especially in Ontario. So you guys, you see that there's really nothing out there that, that you are falling in love or gravitating towards to bring in. So you say, why don't we start our own brand? You start this process. She's got a big background in Mexico, very familiar. There's a family history there that's been around the industry. You guys visit somewhere around 100 distilleries before settling with Casa Maestra. This is now 1438. This distillery is making a lot of brands. Currently, it's over 100, 170 brands. But back around 2015, that wasn't the story. There were not a lot of brands coming out of there. You guys were one of the first brands that were being produced there. But what was it that, that drew you to that distillery? Yeah, going back to that time, they probably had about 15 to 20 brands coming out of the mall. Three quarters of those brands were all house brands. And they were taking their juice and putting it in different shape bottles. And, and yeah, I think that that's a business approach that some distilleries yeah. take, and it's interesting. What was interesting about them is, is the distillery itself is, is built over like an old well. It was, it was an old like, like swimming hole. So they actually run a pump all the time in the distillery to get the water out. But that water is like amazing volcanic spring water. So that was kind of interesting. And, then, and, and, and water source is such a big part of production. And then the, the master distiller at the time, Agustin Sanchez, you know, I, I think he had worked at Ordain. He had worked at, at Siete Leguas when they were doing Patron. He had a lot of history in the, in the tequila industry. And he was known for making very light, like soft, easy to drink tequilas. And that was hitting all the check marks in terms of creating a gateway tequila to be able to turn people onto agave spirits. So Agustin Sanchez was there. He made really, really interesting juice. Uh, the water source is really cool, and and I think I think we're also drawn to the fact that Celia Doña Celia that was running the distillery it was, it was woman run. You know, I, not too many people that were you know I think there was the Partida family that had you know a very strong female running the show there, but I think that that was rare too. And because Monica's grandmother was such a strong woman, and Monica was such a strong woman, I think that 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 kind of tied into some of the decision making. And it was just a very, very warm welcome and, and super interesting. And the house juice was, you know, phenomenal. So we knew we could we could play off of that and and, and trust them for it. You guys start out with a limited run. And was it only selling around the Ontario area, which that's a, a controlled market? Which does that mean that is the government is involved? What were some of the challenges and, and what was that like as you guys have your brand and you're now in Canada and you're now trying to introduce it into this market that they're not familiar with it? Dude, it seems like such a cakewalk. You know, you make some tequila, you bring it in, you yeah. it, you're making money. It's a, it's no big deal, right? 
Ontario is the most difficult. You know how they say if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. If you can make it in Ontario selling an alcoholic beverage, you can make it anywhere. You know, so uh, a lot of people say, hey, you want to bring a, a product into Ontario? It's going to take you five years to get it all up in there. And um, we did it in less. But we're a little psycho. But in the beginning, we brought it in on consignment. And the only way that we could sell the product was if you bought one case and it was to bars and restaurants only. Couldn't even sell to, to people. So, yeah, let's just say the business plan had to change real quick. Because when you're on consignment in Ontario, you actually don't even get paid for what you bring in until the last case sells out of the warehouse. So you got to break that whole time. So 1,008 bottles. It was about 160 cases or so. And we were like, oh, whoops, maybe we should have started somewhere else. But we toughed, you know, we toughed it out. I think like the Siempre brand itself, Siempre means always. We always see the beauty in things. We always see the silver lining and kind of like agave. If agave has a hard time when it grows, then it produces, you know, there's, there's more bricks, there's more sugar, it produces a better tequila. And we just kind of looked at it that way and toughed it out. So we built it from Ontario and then went to Alberta after that. And Alberta is an open market, works very much like Michigan, easy access. You just have to go and do the legwork. Getting product in Alberta, we can sell a case to a store and then another store and then another store and, and build the brand, you know, the way that a, a lot of people believe that building the brand is. So it got a little easier. But you saw, I mean, you saw that traction. You started continuing to, to see that traction and the brand has continued to grow. At some point you come into the U.S. market and I would imagine, I mean, it, there's a lot of things that need to happen to bring a brand to the U.S. market, but I assume it, it was easier than tapping into the Canadian market and you just started opening up different states and different markets here in the U.S.? After Canada, the next step was to uh, we went and played around in California. So we did direct to retail in California. There was no distributor. We self-distributed, but it gave us the opportunity to understand what it was like for the distributor or for distributor reps to be out there selling in the market, right? Which, which gave us the tools that we needed to be able to manage distributors as time went on. So next was California. And at this time, was this you and Monica mostly? You and Monica, you guys, I mean, you quit your job around 2015-ish. You guys are all in on this and, and you're just traveling around California? In comes, so Chris Matt gets introduced into the story once we started in Ontario. And, and he went on with us to Alberta okay. and then California as well. So it did end up being the three of us shortly after that first batch came out. Chris and I, we went through all kinds of stuff together. You know, we owned a recording studio together. We have, between both of us, have seen seven lifetimes worth of crazy shit. And Chris had kind of went through the same journey as me. Like I said, we we're living on kind of parallel paths. And I came to him and I said, hey, dude, we're doing this tequila thing. You feel like you feel like lending a hand? He was like, well, I, I've said yes to working with you on, a, on some crazier stuff than this. Like, let's let's go. This sounds like a positive change and I'm in. So so that so he jumped in in Ontario doing that stuff. And that's how he came on. And so it was it was ultimately the three of us building the brand, you know, um, the Canadian markets and California. And then eventually New York was right after that. So we, we fast forward a little bit. You guys, you've got this original lineup. This is coming out of Casa Maestra, as we talked about. And then you've recently, you've started looking at some other distilleries for some, some other projects, uh, really experimenting. And you have this Rebel Cask. And, and you guys take this to NAM 1137, La Corfadilla. What, what can you tell me about this Rebel Cask? It seems like this is very experimental, single barrel program. But 
But what's the story, Rick, with this Rebel cask? Yeah, so like I said, I joined the team like about a, a year and a half ago. And Alex was like, you know what, we're going to put you on some of these these innovation projects that I uh, that I've, I've sort of dreamed up. So these were ideas from from the brain of Alex, and I kind of project managed it and took the projects on. With Rebel Cask in particular, it's it's a real fun one. So basically, like Rebel Cask is something that uh, that was dreamed up kind of in the spirit of Tequila's criminal past. And what I mean by that is like germ prohibition and so on. When uh, alcohol was essentially banned everywhere, banditos used to bring you know tequila over the border and try to sell it to to Americans. And, you know, clear spirits weren't really popular back then. It wasn't so much vodka, gin, like we're, you know, America's a whiskey country. You know, they didn't sell very well and Americans weren't really interested in it. So the Mexicans would go back home, try to source different barrels and age your tequila, bring it back and market it as Mexican whiskey. So fast forward to today, and I'm kind of the bandito in the company that's sourcing barrels all over the world. I'm a little bit more selective than they may have been during during prohibition, but it's a really, really fun gig. So we're aging our blanco that we produce at uh, at La Cofradia at eleven thirty seven. Uh, it's called Supremo. That's the still strength. Uh, so we're aging our Supremo blanco in a number of different barrels. It's it's a really fun project. So we're we're doing some really cool, innovative things like uh, aging in Sotel barrels. We're sourcing from a lot of different distilleries as well. So we're working with you know Buffalo Trace barrels. Willet, uh, Heaven Hill, Breckenridge, even we uh, just recently got some smoke wagon barrels. We're playing around with new American oak, new Canadian oak as well. I think those barrels just arrived today, as a matter of fact. Uh, a lot of really cool stuff like that. We're even aging in like Exo Remy Martin cognac barrels. So we have some really, really interesting stuff. Here's another interesting thing about the entire Copernia project. So I, I think we all know that every distillery has you know, their own fingerprint or their own signature that you can taste across all the lines that they come out with, right? With La Cofredia, there is a very distinct fingerprint that they have. And we like to complicate things for ourselves. And we're a bit of a squeaky wheel with our distilleries and we get a little too hands-on or more hands-on than others. And with La Cofredia, I think we were just dead set on like saying, okay, they have this beautiful distillery that is like a tourist destination and, and and so much amazing history behind it, and this this absolutely amazing equipment. We were looking at it, and we're going, you know, this place has tequila coming out of it that tastes absolutely phenomenal, that is world class. And 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 part of that challenge too, at the same time, was like, how do we make this thing so unique? Like, how do we how do we make a, a tequila in a distillery? that doesn't have the same fingerprint as all the other tequilas in that distillery to add on to the challenge. So we looked at the equipment and we worked with Charlie, who is such an amazing dude. He's the son of Don Carlos. And we said, look, we just want to do something really, really different as a project here. So a couple of things, we looked at, you know, what their fermentation is and, and like, you know, the agave that they harvest, how long does it sit on the floor? When does it go in? How long is it sitting in the brick oven? Are you using yeast? Are you making house yeast? How hot are you running the still? What's the t- like the whole thing? We just we we took it all apart and then kind of put it back together with Charlie and did some experimenting. Uh, there was a Tahona there that was basically not even being used at all. You know they they have this this really great signature natural yeast that they make in house too. And instead of doing that, we did a, a like a wild fermentation. I think that it was rare that they macerated a different fermentation with fibers. They, they might do with a couple of people. We did fermentation with fibers. So like we really took that Supremo 
and like like completely remixed all the equipment there and did something that like it's super different. It was interesting in the sense that like we challenged ourselves with it and Charlie kind of challenged himself with it. Because each one, this is these are all single barrels, and these are each getting 300, 350 bottles per or so. Because I've got three of them here. Every lot's gonna be different. They even say, you know, the the single barrel edition. And then the United We Stand edition. I mean, so you guys, everything from from the design, which Alex, I'm sure you're very much hands-on, if not doing all of this with the design, uh, but you guys are experimenting with this. I mean, this one is 10 months, new French oak. You're using a Tahona, which like you said, I, I mean, not a lot of brands are using the Tahona there. And so for you guys, I mean, how many different, are these all different SKUs or are you just releasing, you know, you're finding ones that you're really liking and saying, Hey, we're going to bottle these and we're going to send them out. Cause it seems like there's, there's a lot going on with all these different variables between barrels, extraction, all of those ways to do it. But what, what's the thought process with that? Like there, there's, there's a lot of experimenting going on. And what, what's kind of cool is look, all the, all the juices that came out of all those single barrels, and all the blends are each uniquely interesting, and they all they all taste good. That we're like these are all good. Like like you and everybody else are all kind of our test subjects in a sense because I think that we we sh you know shotgun sprayed all these really really interesting expressions out, and as we see which ones are really taking root and and what the favorites are, I think we're going to kind of hone in on on what Rebelcast is going to develop into. It's kind of open right now. It's it's open, and, and what we're discovering, you know, with those blends is is that there's like a really interesting bunch of layers of complexity when you blend the different, you know, when you blend a bunch of barrels together. So I think we want to continue with doing one of these really interesting blends per year, and then you know the single barrel is just so cool, and, and to be able to to pick certain barrels and be like, well, let's only do 300 bottles of this is. It's awesome. And then Rick, for you, this being something that, you know, you, you've come in to, to help source a lot of these barrels. What, what have you learned through, throughout this process as, you know, now you've got the final product? Because as we all know, this takes time. This is time. Mature agaves going through the process. It takes time. I mean, 10 months in the barrel and, you know, you've been here a year and a half to two years. So what, what have you learned throughout this process as you've been seeing from start to finish with this Rebel Cask? Yeah, well, I'm not going to lie. It was a real learning curve. And it's it's a, a bit scary as well, because you're making this, this large investment and in filling these barrels, and you don't always know how they're going to turn out. So there's a little bit of apprehension there. But it's funny, because like, I, I heard us refer to it as like a, an experiment. And in a sense, it is. But I hesitate to use that word, because an experiment sometimes makes it sound almost like you don't know what you're doing. But there's a lot of thought put behind this. When we sit down and we do our tasting panel and we have a tasting panel of about 10 people and we do all of our barrel samples and our proofing and we try them out and we are well prepared to say, okay, look, this barrel didn't work out. It didn't taste like we expected and we're just going to have to dump it or, or do something with it. But the reality is that the base juice is so good that they're all and I have an obvious bias, but I've also tested it out in the market extensively. They're all really unique and, and pretty phenomenal. It's just a matter of some of them are going to speak to you because you you know they they uh, they might taste a little bit more like a bourbon. Some of them might be a little bit uh, sweeter. Some of them might be a bit more you know dark or agave forward. So it's it's very interesting that way. But uh, you know I've I've tested these out in the market and 
you know, and sometimes I'll have three or four buyers there and I'll pour, you know, three or four different types of barrels. And one of them say, oh, well, the mythology one is my favorite. And then someone else who's more used to drinking bourbons and say, you know what, the, the new French oak is, is, is my favorite. And that new French oak is, I mean, a, a lot of color here, new barrels. And I think a bourbon lover would get behind this and go, okay, with a tequila coming from the bourbon world. Oh, yeah. And if you got the United We Stand new American oak, that that's another one where same answer there it's like it, it makes it very easy for a whiskey person to cross over to tequila like it's it's it, it's a very easy bridge yeah. and and we love that from those expressions because it like our our, our mission kind of continues you know it's like how do we convert more people into tequila drinkers and it's been happening man it's so crazy we went from 17 percent of spirit sales in the u.s being tequila to it overtaking vodka yeah, this is going to be a big year. It's going to be a big year. Last year was a big year. This is going to be a big year for tequila. It'll be interesting to see how we navigate it just with the the pressure and the stress that it's going to put on the industry. But, you know, there's a lot of brands that are rising up to the challenge and they're going, hey, we're here and we're going to continue to put out some amazing juice. I think you guys, you know, not to say you're experimenting because, you know, you know, you're methodically going through this, but you are going in a direction. You know, we're going to end up with this, this Vivo at 1414 we get to the vivanco distillery and and i'm excited about this this vivo people have been loving this this is something that's unlike you know a lot of things that are on the market here you know this is special edition does that mean that this is like the first of other things with this exclusive like the vivo or is is there anything else that you guys are working on okay so exclusivo absolutely anything is possible the the sandbox that we play in is is it unusual never been done before extremely interesting completely out of this world and, and unconventional okay let's let's see if we can make it happen and how does that taste and should yep. we give it to the world there's exclusivos that are being tested right now in different places with different people there's front runners that were like this this is probably the next one there's others that were like, oh, this is would be perfect if we did it again like this. So exclusivo will take many forms. I want to say what an innovation, but what a what what a blast from the past might be the best way to put it. So let's let's start though at, at the beginning. You know, how did this come about? How did you end up, you know, Sergio Cruz? He's a legend. He's such a good dude. He's just awesome to be around and make such phenomenal tequila. You've got a tie-in here with Adam Fodder. I know he's very involved in this. He's doing a lot with educating uh, with his program there, but how did this all come to be and how did you end up at the Vivanco Distillery? Vivanco Distillery They've been buddies for a long time. In our journey throughout what distillery to work at and where, and you know, that we made a lot of friends out there in the world. You know, Vivancos we always kept close, and and I, and I think that, that there's just been so many conversations over the years of like, how do we start playing around and working together? Uh, and it was the same thing with Charlie and the Copernia. How do we start working together on a project and getting familiar with each other? And then, and as a brand or as a company, like, how how do we get to you know, scribble outside the lines and, and get to do a project here, a project there, but continue the, the core line and make sure the core line thrives because, look, we're doing 70,000 cases of that stuff, right? Like, you can't just go all over the place with it. So we're like, look, we, we need yeah. to create a platform for us to go out 
and do special projects, you know, whether they're one-off projects or things that continue on. But we need to, we need to create a platform to, to go out and work with all these distilleries that we're so passionate for and work with or, or work to develop all these relationships that we have. It's not new in the business. There, there's, you know, some other, I think, you know, David Sudo and, and Artenam, they, they've, they've branched out and done similar things. You know, we're like, well, it's not crazy, right? We want to do that too. We want to do it in, in a in a different way. And and this was our this is our excuse to go play because Rick and I, Monica, we're all tequila nerds. At the end of the day, like my shelf is looking like yours. You know, I, we're the the border guards in Canada look at us really strange every time we come home. You know, and it just didn't make sense for us at like at like the company culture and like who we are to not branch out and work with all the things that we like nerd out on. So, you know, Vivanco's, I think, and Sergio, some of the people that are the closest to our hearts in the, in the business. And, and Adam, he's another one where we're like, man, we got to do a project with you. He's such a friggin' genius. And it's so unusual to see this, this dude from Europe move to Mexico because of his love for agave spirits and just stay there and just get so involved in the industry. Yeah, I don't know. It just kind of all happened. But but yeah, no, Exclusivo is a platform for us to play around and hang out with and make projects with people. And Fibancos were the first people that we went to because of how awesome and cool and kind they are. And they just let us do our crazy shit inside the distillery. It's a beautiful distillery. I, I've been there. I was there last year uh, with Sergio and Sergio. And they were, you know, they were showing off some some things that were coming out and i got to try this er early on i thought whoa this is very different coming out you know you guys this is going old school this is old hispanic peruvian production method distilling live yeast i do want to go through the process of this vivo uh, to really get into it because a lot of people are seeing this this is really well received and i know people are interested because distilling with live yeast you're you're not letting that fermentation get to that mosto muerta this is you know we're we're stopping it before it fully finishes and we're going into distillation whose idea was that to go hey how can we play with this and was that something that sergio had done in the past or did he have to pivot and and really learn a few things and different batches with it yeah so all we can take credit for is the concept of exclusivo mr adam fodor the evil genius like he, he came up with this he, he's like hey there's this little piece of history that I found very interesting that hasn't been done in tequila. Maybe we should do it. And it's done like this. And the perfect distributor to do it at would be with the Vivancos. And we're just like, people can't hear my hand gestures, but I made an explosion. And, and, and so Adam Fodor came up with the concept of Vivo when he broke it down to Sergio. Sergio, within eight seconds, was like, I get it. I want to do it. Let's do it right now. That's that energy that Sergio has, that Sergio Cruz has. We text him all the time with the craziest stuff. And he's like, I like I like what you're saying. I'm down with it. I'm going to try it tomorrow. <laughs> like, okay. Whereas, whereas some, some other distilleries are like, well, this is a little unconventional, and I'm not sure if we would do it. Like, but this guy is just like, let's go. So we just, we just love that energy, you know? Rick, first time being at that distillery, what, what's going through your mind? I mean, this is Aranda's area. This is, you know, kind of a shotgun, deep property that the distillery's somewhat in a line from the ovens to just going through it all. There's citrus all around it. Uh, you know, it, it's a little different feel than in, in the valley and other areas. But what, what was going through your head when, when you first got to that distillery and, and said, okay, we're going to do a project here? 
Yeah, it's it's really funny actually. I remember uh, my first distillery tour with Alex. He's like, I'm gonna take you to a number of different distilleries. He's like, and they're all gonna blow your mind for different reasons. So like Cofredia, you go there, and obviously everything is is large and grand, and the grounds are amazing. You have these barrel hotels, and you go in in the basement, and it's just it seems never ending. And, and the facility is big and beautiful. And then you go to Casa Maestri, where you know they have multiple different ways of cooking the agaves. And you go and it's a, there's a lot of new innovation and it's ever growing. And then you go to to Viva Mexico, and it's just this beautiful ground, like you said, with all these fruits and flowers growing. And then then you realize like, oh, this is this a lot of what I'm seeing is what I'm tasting in their tequila as well. And then you go into the distillery, and I'm like, well, I, I guess everyone's on break right now because I'm hearing this music playing. And then I found out what the Mozart method is and my mind was blown, just like Alex said. It's a wonderful facility. The family's amazing. Sergio Cruz, uh, he's like, like we've said a few times over, is an awesome dude. And it's just such a great place to work out of. And, and I think that a lot of what you're tasting in the Vivo just sort of comes out of not, you know, the, not, not only the grounds and not only, you know, Sergio Cruz and Adam Fodor's genius and putting this together, but it's, it's everything just sort of coming together. You know, it, it was a really nice collaborative project and you know the, the facility's great. Like I said, the family's great and we're really looking forward to doing something with them hopefully again in the future. There's not a lot of things that are better than sitting out on that patio, just sipping on some tequila with friends just talking life and just being out there it's pretty special that that's that's my vacation man Let, let's walk through this vivo here very mature agaves they're brick oven but kind of walk us through the steps of, of how you're making this the hema for this particular batch i think it was it was kind of like it was highlands but a little closer to to lowlands i gotta pull up the documents but it, it, and, and they were like five and a half maybe six years old but the bricks were, were, were really high. It was really nice. So, you know, and Sergio was like, this is a good harvest. This is what we're going to do. This is how it's going to go down. I'm like, okay, perfect. Let's do it. The cooking method, the co so cooking was really interesting. So everything was normal about the cook, except that it went for a little longer and then cooled for the typical 24 hours that they do it. As as you might know, what, what's very common, you you collect the agua miel, like the, the sweet drippings, right? And and you'll put that back in for the fermentation or kickstart your fermentation with it. Because we were trying to go so old school with it, we kind of emulated what you would get when you cook in a pit, in an earthen pit, in the brick oven by discarding the agua miel. We didn't even use it, which made it extremely inefficient, but it was part of Adam's you know diabolical plan, him and Sergio, to make this happen. So... So that was discarded, and that you know that can can definitely in itself uh, really alter the profile because you know most tequila you drink they you know they have I think I think the closest thing might be the ancestral right because that's cooked in a pit so so that was eliminated and then they only have a molino there uh, the roller mill but we rigged the machine to make the roller mill press lighter to to sort of emulate like you know older technology so it didn't crush the agave or damage the fibers as much which was another contributing factor to alter, altering the typical 1414 profile and changing it up a little bit so when we collected the juices it went into the fermentation and it was a wild fermentation Vivancos used different types of yeast sometimes but this was absolutely put it in let it sit and do its thing. Part of the choice 
besides Sergio being so down, part of the choice and part of what made uh, working at 1414 so perfect for Vivo is because Vivo is very like, you know, the, the, the star of the show is the fermentation, right? That, that, that's where like a lot of the magic of this profile happens. The way that the, the Vivanco distillery is set up and all of the vegetation that's there is so different from everybody else. You know, Sergio Vivanco will be like, well, you know, this tree, my family brought it in a couple of decades ago from, you know, Spain. And, and this one, well, nobody really has this fruit in Mexico, but here you should try. So there, there's just like so many different things there that are different from everyone else. We really wanted to like enhance it. It's like making free base tequila. It's like, it's like, like concentrating that distillery fingerprint and maximizing on it. So no yeast, let it sit, let that, that black hole of natural open air fermentation take place, that wild fermentation, let it collect everything and do it right. And then, shocker, we did not let the yeast die. So, and that, that's kind of the, the whole point with Vivo was that, that Peruvian Pisco style technique where you don't let the yeast die. So was there experimenting with, okay, let's pull it now, you know, it's supposed to go X amount of days. We're going to stop it this many days and then let's go to distillation and maybe go, that's not what we're looking for. Or, you know, how, how easy was it for Sergio to dial it in to go, okay, this is what we're looking for. This is something very special. Can we call it magic? Like, can we call it just, just dumb luck? Is that possible? Like the, the idea was to pull it while it was still bubbling or it was still fizzing. We just did that. We did a, We did a small, like a test batch. And when we did it, it went to the still while it was still alive. And what came out, freaking, it was perfect. So we're like, okay, don't change it. This is, this is good. We, we brought a bunch, of, a bunch of still strength tequilas from other distilleries and set it up and, and you know, had nice pours of everything just to give us some context. And the Vivo glass just kept on emptying. And we were like, we spent a lot of time drinking it. And I think this happens with everybody. Like we drank so much of it because we were always just trying to figure out what the hell was going on in the glass and enjoying it, you know, enjoying it at the same time. Yeah. But yeah, it was kind of like, uh, like on the first try doing it that way, just ended up working. It's coming off. This is 47 and a half and it's you guys 47 and a half percent. So, you know, this is a high proof. I mean, this is higher proof and you guys, you didn't cut this or anything, or you're not adding much water after that second pass for distillation, correct? Absolutely no water dilution whatsoever in like when it came out of the still. So it was all about the art of, of how Sergio cut it, right? He, he, Sergio Cruz explains it like it's like it's cutting film. You know, like, like, like the scene will be different if you cut it here, but if you cut it over here, yep. the scene will be different because, you know, the, the, the loop will be different. So, so when he cut it, he cut it at 47 and a half and he just felt like it was, it was perfect, you know, to capture the right aromas and he dug into the, the colas a little bit more. And, and that was that. I think that, you know, he, as it was coming out and as he was collecting, he tried a few different ways, but this way he was just like, ah, this is it right here. Cut it right here. This is good. I get some of that malolactic profile. I mean, there's, and I don't know if that's just that live yeast. I mean, it's, it's not too much by any stretch, but, but there is a little bit of that cheesiness in a good way coming from this Rick, as someone who's been over the past couple of years, brought in trying all these different tequilas. When you first tried this, what, what did you think? Oh, I thought it was phenomenal. It was, it was really impressive. Cause this was uh, like Vivo was like a big part of my tequila journey. 
like everyone else, I, I started off, uh, you know, drinking the, the not so good stuff, you know, the stuff that you only drink on your birthday. And then uh, was was introduced to, you know, I guess Patron was kind of my introduction to 100% agave tequilas. And then that opened up a whole new world after Siempre coming all the way to Vivo. Put it this way, like before Vivo, I think Cashkaween probably held uh, the, the crown, in my opinion, for their Cerro de Luz was, was my absolute favorite Blanco. This was very uh, reminiscent of that to me in terms of like how it almost has like a like, like a mezcali mouth finish, not taste, but like the like the mouth finish, and then uh, that cheesiness was kind of reminiscent of uh, of an Antanasio. So it was uh, it was very very interesting, unlike anything I, I had tasted before. You know, we said higher proof, but it doesn't it doesn't sip like a higher proof. There's a lot of sweet agave here. There's, I mean, a long finish. There's some really great flavors here to really just sip on this and to enjoy it. And then to think through how you guys did it. I mean, doing something that very few people are doing has got to be pretty special for you guys to come out with this. You've changed the bottle presentation. I love that you're saying, hey, this is different. But the, the idea with this one is, okay, you know, my, my guy Lou he'll say it, you know, if he'd say, hey, really, really pretty bottle, probably really, really shitty juice. Seven out of 10 times, nine out of 10 times, you know, whatever. So we just, we wanted to riff off of that and just say, look, like really, really simple bottle. Hey, it's a, it's a recycled glass wine bottle. And, and the label was like dumbed down from what the Siempre label is, just pretty basic. And we just wanted to communicate that like the, the real art in this product, this particular skew was on the inside. The beauty was on the inside with it. So we just wanted to simplify things on this one to try to communicate that that the important part is on the inside. And what was the bottle run? I, I've got one here that's bottle 7,500. What, what are we, this is batch one, but what did it produce? We originally only released 9,000 bottles in the United States and had an extra 250 cases just tucked away because we wanted to save it and save it for a rainy day. It's people are fighting for this stuff and it's doing so good that we shipped the last 250 cases out. So there's there's 9,000 bottles in the U.S. and then there's just a, another, a little over another thousand that, that are going to get released into the market as well that are on their way to a warehouse. And then that's it. It's out and you guys are thinking through what's what's next with this uh, with this lineup here. You know, the, the interesting thing is, and uh, uh, I think we got to get Adam, Mr. Adam Fodor on next time, too, because he, he really pays us uh, good service. You know, I, I don't want to butcher the way we talk about the production and the barbarian. But even if we did another Vivo in a couple of years, it would be different. I, even if we tried to do it on the exact same day, the exact same time, I think that because of the technique, there's too many variables yeah. that are, that are, is just that nature coming into play. I mean, what's going on, what fruit is in season, what's going on there. The agaves, all of that is, is different at the Vivanco yeah, distillery. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, but we're all excited for the next six because you know, the only challenge is we, we got to beat this juice, which I think we're going to do, but man, what a, what a challenge we got ahead of us. It, it, we got some ideas and I think it's going to be fun, but we've, we've tested some of them so far. And even if it doesn't beat Vivo, it'll certainly be on par with it. It's, we have some interesting and exciting stuff uh, coming down the pipe. When you guys look back through the journey, Alex, you've, you've been on a journey 
for a long part of your life. But when you look back through this journey from where, where the brand started to where it is now, what, what does it mean to you guys as you're, you know, you're presenting this and to even take it to Canada where you're from and to present it and to let people there experience tequila that it might be tequila that they've never experienced before here in the U S they're getting introduced to it. But Rick, what is it, what does it mean to you as, as you've been on this journey? It's been incredible to witness. Like it's, it's been crazy to just watch, you know, Alex grow this thing from where it was in 2015 to where it is now. And now to be a part of the team, I even sometimes have to pinch myself. I'm like, wow, this is the same guy that I sat down in a restaurant with. And he's saying, hey, try my tequila. And then it was obviously phenomenal. And I'm telling my friends about it. And people think that we're making it in the basement and in Ottawa, not knowing like the whole tequila process and, and, and so on. So to to think of like where it came from to where it is now, it's 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 almost unreal. Now we're in how many states, Alex? 28 U.S. states, national across Canada, a couple of international countries too. And then, you know, to bring new things to the category to bring so much value to the category as well and selling the the tens and tens of thousands of cases of, of tequila and hearing the feedback and then getting to to talk to cool people like you doug about about the brand and it's uh it's it's been great to watch and even better to be a part of and alex you guys are you're both in mexico right now i mean from canada you guys are both in mexico right now looking back what what does it meant to you you know it, it's interesting i'm I have a I have a guest pass in Mexico, you know, I tell people so it may get on corazón. To be able to to bring the the beautiful crazy mess that Mexico is, you know, to the US and Canada and around the world and, and, and like and bring kind of bring that vibe and energy translated through like through our product to, to, to everybody has been has been incredible. You know, yeah, I think that I think that in the in the end our mission was to a create something that, that we could have as a legacy to leave to you know our kids and stuff. But B be be agave spirit evangelists and convert people into agave spirits aficionados. And um, you know to start out with like a, a very soft core line, the, the blanco repo añejo. You could go to anybody in the street and taste them on and go, oh my god, like I think I like tequila now. To to being at a point where we go, okay, perfect. So you like tequila now, try this and and, and be able to step them up yeah. the ladder and put them onto a still strength. You know, uh, the like to, to the real deal uh, is interesting. We've created this this ladder for them to climb up. You know, we, we've also watched tequila come so far. You know, when we started, there were not as many options. Some people are really competitive. I think we just want to build the category. When we sell a bottle of Siempre, we say, Hey, you should probably probably try the El Tequileño and the Cascaline and the Athanasio and the Fortaleza and this one, that one, and the other, and the Viva Mexico. You know, so you know, I, I think we encourage people. We, we say, look, yeah. if you use this as your gateway into exploring the entire tequila sector in your store, we've done our job. I know you're going to circle back and get Siempre for a party sometime, but but really just building the category and seeing all the distillery shine has been our mission. And I feel like we're, we're contributing to the growth of this thing. And holy shit, it is growing. Like, look how big the gear is. It's nuts. It, it's pretty cool to look back and, and to think that we just wanted to be, we just wanted to have one bottle in one bar and get a couple of people to start drinking tequila and love it as much as we did. And now we're doing that on a massive scale. And it's, 
Cool. Guys, thank you for sharing your story. Alex, your journey, you know, it's a great, you know, Sam Pray always, it's a great reminder that tomorrow is always a new day and the past does not dictate the future, does not have to impact the future. Sam Pray's got great distribution. Uh, it's got good distribution here in Florida. Uh, SipTequila.com, who's the sponsor of the show. I do a lot of work with them. They've got the Vivo. I think they may have the Rebel Cask as well. So if you're interested and in, here in the U.S. and having it shipped right to you, you can go to SipTequila.com. But I know you guys, your website is uh, SampraTequila.com and people can learn more about the brand and there's spots on there on, on where to find it and where to purchase it. But guys, great job as you're just continuing to dive deeper into this. And, and thank you so much for coming on the show and, and stepping out of your, your time there in Mexico. I know it's always a special place to have some time there. Uh, so thank you so much for doing that and salute. And I can't wait to see what's up next with Sampra and what you guys have in store. Thank you for having us, man. I mean, you're a major contributor to, to turning people into into agave heads. You know what I mean? It, it, we, we see your stuff every day and, and, and you're, you're always, I mean, it's crazy how much of a following that you've created and how much impact that you've had well, and all the other, you know, influencers and people on social and doing podcasts and stuff with that. I mean, it's, it's pretty awesome, man. We appreciate you big time. Well, thank you. I'm just trying to share this amazing story of tequila. So I'm, I'm just honored to, to play a small role in it, guys. But again, thank you so much for your time. Maybe we'll have to collaborate down there in Mexico and uh, visit some distilleries. Yeah, I would love to. Thanks. Thanks for the, uh, for the opportunity, man. This was fun. It was good hanging out with you, Doug. All right, guys. I'll see you. Take care. Salud. Salud. That was Alex Lacroix and Rick Harper from Siempre Tequila. Be sure to check out the new Rebel Cask lineup and Exclusivo Vivo. To learn more about the brand, you can go to SiempreTequila.com. A big thanks to the sponsor of the show, SipTequila.com, where you can purchase some of their products. Follow me on Instagram at Agave Social Club for daily videos and other content. I'm Doug Price, and thanks for listening.